Hey, why don't you guys take a seat? If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab that. Uh, meet me over in Daniel chapter four. We're gonna continue in our series. Joe, Joe did a great job last week of walking through the applications of Daniel chapter three. Um, today, we're gonna look at a passage of scripture or a chapter of scripture. I'm gonna, I'm gonna synthesize the whole thing, but it's one of um, the most applicable passages of scripture in the entire Bible. It's one that, that speaks directly to me because it's the, it's the encapsulation of the downfall of King Nebuchadnezzar and his redemption story. Like I've told you every week, here's the big idea for the book of Daniel, and you're gonna see it again today. The big idea is this, how Christians live in Babylon without letting Babylon live in them. One, one of the most amazing one of the most amazing stories of the downfall of humanity happened in 1969 through a man named Chuck Colson. If you're not familiar who Chuck Colson is, um, Chuck Colson grew to the top of his career to the point in which he was uh, positioned to be the special counsel to President Richard Nixon. Chuck Colson developed a reputation of being the hatchet man for the president. He, he was once said that he would do anything for the president. He would even cut down his own grandmother, run over her in order to make the president advance. Well, he did that, and President Nixon used him in every way in order to do that, even the Watergate scandal. Y'all, this was the height of his career, and he did anything he needed to do to position himself to grow even more until he met Jesus. One day, he was reading C.S. Lewis, and Jesus wrecked his life. So when the Watergate scandal broke, Chuck Colson decided that the most important thing he could do was keep his integrity in Jesus, so he voluntarily incriminated himself and put himself in prison. They pleaded with him just to take the Fifth Amendment, and Chuck Colson said he could not do that anymore. He could not leverage his own power because he had to have integrity in Jesus. So he was sentenced to prison, and Chuck went to, from the mountaintop to the valleys of despair. But God. In every story that you hear, there tends to be a but God story. God humbled Chuck Colson in prison. He was released from prison and started a ministry called Prison Fellowship to where he reached out to prisoners and reached millions of people over the course of his life. You see, y'all, that is God's formula. God's formula tends to be humiliation, then exaltation. It tends to be he humbles you, then he exalts you. We just read Philippians 2. Philippians 2, this great, what they call Christological prayer, what that means is, is that, that Paul didn't write Philippians 2 at that point. It was a hymn that was constantly talked about in the early church to where Jesus would humble himself, even to the point of death, death on a cross, therefore God highly exalted him. Humility, exaltation. Here's a thought for you. What if, what if the worst thing that could ever happen in your life, watch this, is that you are exalted to a position of power without ever experiencing humility. Like what if that's actually the worst thing? I wanna tell you it is. Because what it will end up doing is it will end up crushing you and robbing God of his glory. You see, some of us, are sitting in this room and we wonder, and look, if this is you, I'm right there with you. God, why is life so difficult? Am I the only one? Maybe that's you. Just one person in the back, I guess. Right? Nothing ever seems to be going as easy as you would think. Listen, I get that, but here's what I know. God loves us far too much to give us everything that our heart desires at the expense of humility 
because that will put us in a position to fail. I see it all the time. When the platform becomes before the altar, it ultimately crushes you. Divorces happen. Pride puts you in a position to hurt the people around you. Or the most tragic thing that I see is you end up living a happy life. You end up having all that your heart desires. And then you become a hollow shell because you never actually get the fulfillment of what God has for you. Here's the point. God brings humility into our lives because he loves us. God brings humility into our lives because he loves us. Listen to me. If you still have breath in your lungs, God's not done with you yet. I love the way Kerry Newhoff said it. Only humility can get you out of what pride got you into. <laughs> Listen, I, I want to I tell you something, and I need you to hear, hear this. It's not our brokenness that keeps most of us from God. It's our success. Hey, you hear what I'm saying? Hey, hey, Jesus came for the brokenhearted. He knows you're broken. He came to heal you. That's not what keeps you from God. What keeps you from God, and I'm telling you, I'm telling you, most of us, it's our success. You see, we bought this lie that we can do it all on our own, and we're pretty darn good at doing it all on our own. So we accumulate much success, but we do it at the expense of the joy that comes in Jesus. I I love you too much not to tell you this truth, and here's the truth. If you buy your own press, you will miss God. You, You can fill your life up with so many good things that you miss the main thing. And I don't want that for you. I don't want that for us. Today, we're going to look at the ultimate pride to humility story. King Nebuchadnezzar, he's going to encounter God for the final time, for the third time. And God is going to bring him all the way down to a position of humility so that he can finally recognize who he is. If you recall, in Daniel chapter 1, it's the first time that, that King Nebuchadnezzar experiences God. He has this nightmare of a vision, this dream that haunts him, to the point in which he calls in all of his magicians to tell him what the dream is, and they can't do it. Well, Daniel comes in, Daniel tells him the dream, he shows him what it all is, and then he shows him who God is in that moment. At that time, Daniel should, or at that time, King Nebuchadnezzar should have recognized God. Well, the next scene is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. King Nebuchadnezzar, he, he takes his throne again. He builds this major statue to himself. He tells everybody that you have to fall down and worship it. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they defy the king. They don't worship it. And the king puts them into the fiery furnace. Well, when he does that, he throws them in there. He notices that they're not burning. And there's a fourth person. I told you this, that's Jesus himself in the fire with them. He should have recognized God in that moment. Well, now, for the third and final time, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And this is like the knockout punch where God finally humbles good old Neb. So, once again, he has a nightmare. He calls in the magicians. They can't answer it. You would think he's smart enough to realize, just go straight to Daniel. Well, Daniel, he comes in. And what you, I, want, I want you to notice something, though. I want you to notice how Daniel honors the king. Now, that's a big deal. Remember, Daniel is an exile who is going through a genocide and this king is trying to kill him and his friends and Daniel still honors him. Look at it, verse eight. At last, Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belshazzar after the name of my God, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream saying, O Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you. Tell me, the, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. Again, I want you to notice that Daniel actually comes at the king's request. He doesn't sit back and he doesn't say, hey, king, you should have, you should have recognized it the first time. I'm done with you. No, he honors the authority in his life, even though they have different political views. 
Y'all, I genuinely believe that Daniel, I genuinely believe that Daniel understood Jeremiah's command to seek first the welfare of the city that he sent him. To, to love that place, to sh- seek the shalom. I, I actually believe that Daniel came to love the king, the king who tried to kill him. How do I believe that? Well, look at verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was dismayed for a while. And his thoughts alarmed him. And the king answered and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Well, Belshazzar answered and he said, my Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. Y'all, you don't talk like this unless you have deep compassion and care for the king. Daniel served the king and he sought the good of the king and the peace of the city because God called him to do it. Listen, listen. He honored the God-given authorities in his life, even the king of Babylon. And this king was the most evil person on the planet. See, I think we can pause here for just a second and say this. There's something humbling and God-honoring about looking at the systems and the authorities set up in your life. And even if you disagree with them, you still honor the position that God has placed them in. I mean, that's a word for 2023. No matter who sits in the Oval Office, God has placed them there. And there should be a a sense in which we honor that position. Y'all, that doesn't mean that that we should agree with everything that they do. As a matter of fact, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't stand up for biblical truths. But it does mean that we should willingly submit to the office of the authority and the structures that God has placed over us. See, the only way that you are ever going to love people that you disagree with is when you can see through their platforms to their humanity. Like regardless, regardless if we're talking about the president or we're talking about your neighbor next door, there are going to be people that you disagree with. And there are gonna be people in your life that might have authority over you, whether it be your boss or your parents. And the only way that you are ever going to humble yourself to submit to some of those authorities is if you see that the relationship is more important than the conflict. Can you love people because they are image bearers of God? Can you love them even if you disagree with them? There is something humbling about that, especially the people who have hurt you deeply. Like King Nebuchadnezzar had hurt Daniel deeply. See, the king, he had threatened to kill Daniel. He put his friends in a fiery furnace, and yet Daniel still sought to honor him. Think about that. So Daniel, he comes, and he comes to the king, and he shares the vision. He, he, he reluctantly tells the king the vision, and here it is. He says, there's gonna be a tree in the middle of the earth. It's gonna be great in its height. It's gonna grow strong, and it's gonna reach the top of the heavens. It's gonna be visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves, he says, were gonna be beautiful, and its fruit is gonna be abundant, and it's gonna feed all the people. Animals are gonna find shade under its shelter, and birds are gonna live in its nest. He says, y'all, this is a picture, King Nebuchadnezzar, of your kingdom. Babylon the great is going to be great and people from everywhere are going to find their, their satisfaction, shelter and peace here. And yet the angel of the Lord is going to come down from heaven and he's gonna command that your kingdom be cut down, that your tree is gonna be gone. He's gonna command that everything flee from you and only thing left is going to be a stump. Y'all, he said that your mind, O King Nebuchadnezzar, is going to be changed to the mind of an animal and that the dew of heaven is gonna be on your head. Let me fill in the blanks for you. God allowed the kingdom of Babylon to prosper. He gave the king every opportunity to recognize that his prosperity was there because God had given it to him. 
It wasn't because of human ingenuity and it wasn't because of the king's superiority, but it was because of God's kindness. And multiple times God showed up to give him every opportunity to recognize that it was God who did it and not the king. Listen, I'm convinced that this is a picture for all of us. That all of us have to sit back and we have to recognize that God does the same exact thing in your life. God allows you to prosper at times and he's patient with you and he continues to give you opportunities to recognize that everything you have and everything you've accomplished is a gift from God. So let me just ask you again, do you recognize this? Do you recognize it? Do you recognize that everything you have is a gift from God? King Nebuchadnezzar had every opportunity to repent and follow Jesus, and yet he doesn't. He doesn't recognize that this is a sign that God wanted to show him, and he doesn't submit to God. Listen, it was God's kindness. It was God's kindness that showed up all those times. And, now this is important, and it's God's kindness that cut him down to a place that he could be humbled. Verse 16. Let his, mind be changed to the man, uh, let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him. You know, there's gonna come a time like King Nebuchadnezzar had where God is either gonna say, you can humble yourself or I'm going to humble you. I wanna be pretty personal for a second and um, I just wanna tell you like these last five years have kind of felt like that for us. When we moved here from Durham, North Carolina, our lives were Pretty easy. We worked at a great church. Church was great. Family was great. Friendships were great. We moved here, and whether you know this or not, uh, it's been one issue after another with health with our family. Wife was in the hospital for several months. Our kids have been sick. It just has felt like spiritual attack after spiritual attack after spiritual attack. And I don't know what your theology is, but I can just tell you the longer I live here, the more that I believe that there's spiritual warfare. And y'all, these moments these moments of disappointment, these moments of failure, these moments of uncontrollableness where COVID hits and, and we have a baby that's born too early and my wife goes in the hospital, our kids just get perpetually sick. I can just tell you, it has been difficult and I haven't liked any of it and I don't ever wanna go through it again. And yet every single time that we've gone through it, we found Jesus closer and sweeter than he was the time before. I'm telling you, it's almost like God is sitting there saying, listen, this is my gift because in the lowest points, when you look up, I am there. <laughs> Y'all, that idea of seven periods of time, it, it's God's way of saying until, until you get it. Right, I'm gonna take as much time as necessary to humble you so that you can get it because I care more about you than you realize. Write this down. This has been so helpful for me. All judgment before the final judgment is God's mercy. You, you do realize how much God cares about you, don't you? I'm telling you, God's love for you is that he will pursue you endlessly so that you can be humbled in this life so that you can enjoy heaven with him forever. He won't leave you alone. I've told you this before. The only thing worse than hate, Martin Luther King Jr. said this, is indifference. God's not indifferent about you, y'all. He cares about you. He loves you. And here's what I know. You aren't too far gone for God. You know how I know that? I'd be willing to bet that there's not a single person in this room that has done anything nearly as bad as King Nebuchadnezzar. And God pursued him. God saved him. I think he's telling you, listen, I don't know what you've done, but you haven't done anything like this guy has done. Look at verse 22. It is you, Daniel says, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches 
to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. Spoiler alert, king, all this junk's about you. It's about you. See, king, listen, this is so important. King, you have become the picture of the Tower of Babel. You have built this united kingdom where you want people from every tribe, tongue, and nation united around, not the throne of God, but the throne of the king. And as you've built this thing up, you know what you've done? You've convinced people to look to you and not to God, and you've missed the point. You know, here's what he's saying. You, you've built this kingdom where, where you feel like the government can provide for everything you need, so you don't need God. Sound familiar? Listen, the enemy of godliness, watch this, is independence or dependence on the wrong thing. Both of those. God wants you to be fully dependent on him and he can provide everything you need. So God makes a decree to chop him down. Chop him down to nothing but a stump because he loves him. You know how I know he loves him? He never leaves him alone. Verse 17, the sentence is by a decree of the watchers. The decision by the word of the holy ones. To the end of the living to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and he gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. It's a decree from God. Like King Nebuchadnezzar would have known, decrees can't be changed. You would have seen that with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You're gonna see it again with Daniel and the lion's den. Once a decree is made, it can't be changed. What he's telling him is your kingdom will be taken away. You will be driven away like an animal and that is what it is. Let me ask you. Here's a question I ask myself often. If God gave you everything that your heart desired, everything, but you never got God, would you be okay with that? Y'all, I don't want to hear the Christian answer. Like, ponder that in your heart. Would you really be okay with that? I'm telling you, God's humbling has been challenging for me. It should be for you too. But I need you to know is that it matters. It's important. It's necessary. Because every single time that God has dropped me down to my knees, I have found that he is faithful and kind and what I need is him and I don't need anything else. Like I said earlier, when my wife was in the hospital all summer long, God did something in a way in me that humbled me because I'm normally the person who's setting up all the serving stuff and yet you guys served us. It put us in a position to be needy in a good way. Like, I never want to go through that again, but those experiences were necessary to make me continue to rely on him. Like, do you have the space? Do you have the space in your mind and in your heart to recognize that you're just not going to understand everything in this life? That the secret things belong to the Lord. That maybe he's doing something bigger in your life than you can begin to realize, and yet he is good, and it's his kindness that leads to repentance. Do you have the space to recognize that if God didn't care about you, he would just leave you alone? Verse 25. You, he says, king, shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox and you shall be wet with dew of the heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and he gives it to whom he will. Real quick, let me point out a few observations just from this text. Here's the first one. When you live, however you want to live, you end up reducing yourself down to being nothing but an animal. You know, this is one of the most overlooked observations in this passage, but I need you to hear me say, you're not an animal. I hear people say stuff like this, we're only human. That's exactly right. 
We are human, made in the image of God, designed for God, and God has so much more for you than that. You're not just an evolved monkey. You're not an accident. Some of us need to just stop acting like it. Like in our day, it's almost like we find ourselves to be this and it becomes insanity. When we live for whatever we want to live for with no regard for the world around us or we sleep with whoever we want to sleep, we, we reduce ourselves down to be nothing but animals. Yo, God has so much more for you than that. I'm telling you, I am telling you, if you wanna stop this epidemic of crime and racism, if you wanna stop the epidemic of promiscuity, don't reduce people down to being less human. Elevate them up to the image of God that God had made them in. It doesn't really matter of what race you come from or how old you are or what ethnicity or what country. God has designed you to be an image bearer and you should be treated as such. People should give each other dignity and you should give yourself dignity. You see, we need to be committed to the sanctity of marriage. We need to be committed to the sanctity of humanity. Dads, we need to step up and we need to treat our, our, teach our sons how to treat women with respect. Y'all, God is pretty binary. I hope you know that, right? There is, there is a position that God has put us in because he wants us to be fully human. And whenever we live out that position, we actually experience joy. We elevate humanity. We don't reduce it. Don't miss the parallels in, this, in the application of this text. When we are so prideful that we live for our own kingdoms, we don't experience happier lives, we become more like an animal. And, and I don't even like, I don't even need to preach the text. I just go tell you to turn on the TV. You can figure this out. It's, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. This is not just about King Nebuchadnezzar. This is about all of humanity. The sin of pride, the sin of pride takes away your humanity. The next thing I need you to notice is this. If there's still breath in your lungs, God's not done with you. See, God doesn't tear you down to discard you. He tears you down sometimes to build you back up, to make you whole again. Look at verse 26. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness. That, if you underline words in your Bible, that's a good one. Break off sins by practicing righteousness. And your iniquities, here's how you do it, by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity. Y'all, the stump is there because God's ultimate goal is worship. Here's what you need to know. Stumps can grow again. Stumps can grow again. That's the point. God doesn't make a full end of the king because he doesn't want to make a full end of him. He wants him to grow again, and sometimes God does the same thing for you. Sometimes he cuts you down so that you can grow better. Here's how you do it. Here's how you humble yourself, according to this passage, to start growing again. You ready for it? Practice righteousness and show mercy to the oppressed. Yo, there's this entitlement an entitlement is a sign of pride. But advocating for the poor and the oppressed and the downtrodden and the vulnerable, that's a sign of humility. Like, we got to sit here for a second because in 21st century America, it, it seems like we have missed this so much. We, we label it words like woke or, or social justice, and, and all that's just so dumb. Like, if you read the Bible, God cares about. The oppressed, he cares about the poor. 
Matter of fact, all the way throughout the, the entire Bible, God sets up these systems to care for people. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, the way, all the world was raging around them, and God says, don't be like them. Don't be like them. Don't glean the edges of your field. Yeah, I know you worked hard. I know you were in the farm. But you know what? Leave some. Because I've got a plan to take care of the whole earth. And if you don't realize that, here's what God is saying. I did it for you. Like you didn't earn anything that I did for you. I did it for you. Animals, animals only care about their own survival. Humans care about the flourishing of all humanity. God tells his people to care for the poor and the vulnerable. What does James say? True religion is this, that you would care for the most vulnerable, the orphans and the widows in their distress. Y'all, the most vulnerable in our society is a child yet born, an orphan, a foreigner, the elderly, those in third world countries, those who don't have a job. And our job is not to judge the situations that they're in or their motives. Our job is to be the hands and the feet of Jesus in this world. And if we would stop trying to figure it all out and just start serving, what you would see is God's kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. Verse 30, and the king answered and he says, is this not great Babylon, which I have built? By my mighty power, as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty. Notice the personal pronouns, I. He doesn't get it and he doesn't give credit where credit is due. So here's the next observation. It's easy to forget God and take credit for yourself, right? I think that, 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 that somehow, somehow we've forgotten this. You know, we, we've forgotten that oftentimes it's so easy that we become glory thieves, and if we're not careful, we'll be quick to do it. For, in my most desperate situations, again, I, I'm, I don't want to be the hero of the story. In my most desperate situations, I cry out to God. I cry out hard. I'm on my knees before God. In my most successful situations, I pat myself on the back, and I take all the credit. Am I, I'm, am I the only one? Like, you know, they say that Jesus can be found in every foxhole. But you know where he's often not found is in your success. We do the same exact thing. It took King Nebuchadnezzar 12 months, 12 months, 12 months, like just 12 months to forget God. And if we're honest, like that's probably longer than it would have taken me. I'd move on quickly. See, we often get these experiences of God and God rocks our world. And for just a moment in time, we're all in. We get these spiritual highs and guess what? We're right back to the same old stuff again. We're so quick to forget. For King Nebuchadnezzar, though, the day finally came where God said it's enough, it's enough. God spent years, years lovingly and graciously trying to get his attention and he continually ignored him and continually ignored every sign and God says the day has finally come. Listen, God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he's been trying to get some of y'all's attention for a long time. But for some reason, whether it be our successes, we continue to ignore him. Well, there's gonna come a day where there's gonna come a day where God is going to lovingly knock some of us out too. He's gonna lovingly put us on our knees because the most humbling thing you can do is recognize who God is. Think about it. If God can get your attention in this life by any means necessary, that means you get to enjoy him for all of eternity. And isn't that far better than being separated from him in hell for all of eternity? Listen, it's even God's humbling here on earth is his grace and a sign of his love. So verse 31, while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. While it's still in his mouth, past tense, 
It has departed from you. It is gone, done. See, King Nebuchadnezzar would not humble himself, so God humbled him. Don't forget this. Humility is the goal. Humility is the goal in this life. Either you can humble yourself or God will humble you. One way or another, God's ultimate goal for your life is humility. Now let's talk about humility. Well, what is it? Uh, Tim Keller, the patron saint, here's how he says it. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Now, I think C.S. Lewis said that as well, so you can attribute whoever you want. I like that guy, so we're gonna go with him. Can I give you a couple practical ways to humble yourself? Here's number one. Posture your heart for gratitude. Posture your heart for gratitude. You see, humility recognizes that everything that you have is a gift from God. And that takes an active recognition on your part. You notice in verse 30, where, no, where Neb gives the credit, and the king answered, and he says, is this not great Babylon, which I have built with my mighty power and my royal residence and for the glory of my majesty, my, 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 my? Man, he sounds like my two-year-old, right? I mean, I give my kids toys. I have four of them, and they're all like, um, we, we, we get them, and they're fighting over it. Like, this is mine. I'm like, bro, do you realize that I bought that for you? Sometimes I think that that's how we sound. And God's sitting up there saying, heaven saying, bro, do you realize, like, I gave you that? Like, you're holding on to it, but hey, listen, I, I did that. Again, most of us don't, we don't wake up in the morning, and we don't smell the air, and we're like, ah, look at the kingdom I built. Like, that's not what our lives look like, but we do it all the time. Right? We do it all the time. No, we say, no, I did that. Like, I was successful because I worked hard. We even teach our kids that. Like, that's the value of, of, of what we do. You work hard, you can accomplish anything you want. There's some truth in that, but it's only if God allows you to. You know, everything we have, everything we have is a gift from God. Listen, write this down. Gratitude is the attitude that raises the roof of humility in your life. It all starts with gratitude. It's a posture that says, everything I have, if I begin my life and I begin my day every day just thanking God for the things that I have, turn over and look at the beautiful, if you're married, beautiful spouse that God has put next to you and just thank God for him, for providing that for you, your children. Do you ever just thank your kids for being your kids? Y'all look around and notice, take inventory. Take inventory of the amazing things that God has blessed you with and thank him for it. One more time, Tim Keller, listen. If Jesus didn't complain when he received a life infinitely worse than he deserved, why should we complain when all of us get a life infinitely better than we deserve? Number two, position yourself to serve. So you posture yourself for humility by giving gratitude. You position yourself to serve. The best way to humble yourself is to serve. For many of us, because we live in a successful culture, what it means is laying aside your positional authority, checking your ego at the door, and serving one another to grow in humility. Y'all, in this last discourse that Jesus does before the crucifixion, the night before he dies, the very last thing he does is he washes his disciples' feet. The king of the universe gets down on his knees and washes his disciples' feet, which included Judas Iscariot, who was about to betray him. And here's what he says. I've given you an example to go and do likewise for one another. Y'all, let me just tell you. If you want to humble your hearts, serve. Guys, you're not too busy to serve. At a heart level, the reality is, is most of us just think it's beneath us. We wouldn't say it that way, but we'd say like, hey, I put in my time. I've done my job. It's somebody else's turn. No, that's not how it works. It's not how it works. 
Serving is the most humbling experience. Albert Schweitzer, I love this quote. This is what he says. I don't know what your destiny will be. Some of you will perhaps occupy remarkable positions. Perhaps some of you will become famous by your pens or as artists. But I know one thing. The only ones among you who will be really happy are those who have sought and found how to serve. Y'all, serving isn't just about doing something for others. It's about what God does in you. And I'm telling you, the, the people that I know that serve the most are the most humble people I know. Here's number three. Place yourself under authority, right? Position yourself for gratitude. Posture yourself to serve. Place yourself under authority. This might be the most counterintuitive American value. But I'm telling you, God has called you to submit to authority. All of us have authorities. And there's something humbling about that. All of us are called to give ourselves to our local church. Covenant membership in the church is one of the most impactful decisions you will ever make because you are willingly inviting accountability into your life and that takes humility. That takes humility. But here's the advantage. Growth in our lives happen through community. They happen as we give ourselves to one another and we choose to be loved. Because listen, to be known and not loved is to be rejected, but to be loved and not known is simply sentimentality. What God has called us to is both because either or of those will crush you. God has called us to be known. All of us have a deep longing to be known and when we give ourselves to someone, we allow ourselves to be known and yet not be rejected. The greatest form of love, the ultimate form of love is God's love. First John, God is love. He knows you, he knows everything about you, he knows every hair on your head and he still chooses to, to love you. Romans 5.8, before you and I ever did anything right, yet while we were still sinners, Paul says, Christ died for us. He loves you. Verse four, or number four. Practice the discipline of prayer. Yo, I worked really hard on alliteration. I'm not good at this, so I got this one down today. Practice, practice the discipline of prayer. There is nothing more humbling than getting down on your knees and confessing your helplessness before God. If, if God is teaching me anything in this season of life, it's be more dependent on prayer. And we're gonna start doing that. Matter of fact, I, I didn't plan on announcing this, but we're gonna move our Wednesday morning monthly prayer to a Wednesday night prayer and worship once a month where we're gonna come in this room and we're gonna center it on singing some songs and just worshiping together. And we're gonna continue to build a posture of prayer in this church because we just believe prayer is the ministry and God moves when God's people pray. Here's the deal. You can get down on your knees or God will lovingly knock you down on your knees. At the end of the day, that's the option. God cares far too much about us to just let us go. God cares about you. Here, here, here's the way I've said it. Choose the altar, and God might give you a platform. Choose a platform, and God will put your life on an altar. Humility, humility, humility. Humility is the key. I love this, this painting um, by Rembrandt. My, my wife's an artist, um, and I've hated art most of my life, and I'm starting to like it a little more. Rembrandt, Rembrandt painted this picture of Jesus on the cross. And you, you see that little funny man right there? That's Rembrandt. Rembrandt painted himself in the picture, and here's what his explanation was. He said the cross, the crucifixion, wasn't a one-time event in history, but it's a continual present reality because every time that I sin, I nail Jesus to the cross, and I needed to paint myself into the picture. Humility, right? He recognized, he recognized his humility before God, but the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus put himself there. 
That even though we nail him there, he put himself there. Here's, listen, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. He took my sins and sorrows, he made them his very own. He bore my burdens to Calvary, he suffered and died for me. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Are you humble enough to recognize what he did for you? Let me just ask you this. This is, again, this was big for me. Does your theology allow you to allow God to take the worst human beings on the planet and even redeem them? King Nebuchadnezzar was worse than what we would think about Hitler. And listen, when you get to heaven one day, King Neb's gonna be there. You, you know what that does? You know what that does to your heart? It makes you recognize Grace. It puts you on an even playing field to recognize that it's only God's grace. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me? Who is that person for you? Who's that person who has hurt you deeply that you have to recognize that God can even change their heart? Let me just ask you. Are you that person? Some of you have a dividing wall because you can't understand how God would forgive you. I'm just telling you, I'm telling you, God did it. God went to the cross for you. Verse 34. At the end of the days, I, King Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High. And I praised and honored him who lives forever. Verse 34 is one of the most extraordinary verses in all the Bible the king of the most evil empire on the planet has been knocked down to nothing so that God could redeem him. See, you have to be humble enough to lift your eyes up to God. But if you will, he will look down on you. And oftentimes, one of the ways that God does this, this has been a difficult lesson for most of us to learn, is through suffering. C.S. Lewis God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. See, here's the deal. What if God's primary concern for you is that you would lift your eyes to see his goodness? What if his primary concern for you is not that you would have all the stuff that this world has to offer, but that you would have eternity with him? Pride will make you less human but lifting your eyes to him will make you whole again. And that is his ultimate goal for all of us. Guys, more than anything, I want you to get this. I want you to get that God cares more about you than you could actually comprehend in your mind. And God's not mad at you. He's at work in you. And he wants to do something through you. So let me land the plane here by just giving you three quick applications that I think will help you. Number one is this, God is the only eternal one. That's a big deal. Look at verse 34, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. See, when the king would have been greeted by people, do you know what they would have said? Oh, king, live forever. You'll see that throughout the book of Daniel. For the first time, King Nebuchadnezzar does it to the real king. Oh, king, live forever. Psalm 90 tells us to teach us the number our days so that we might have a heart of wisdom. Y'all, we are all temporary. But God is eternal. 
We are here today and we are gone tomorrow. Do you realize that there are thousands of graves in this world that are filled with famous people that you've never heard of? You you know, this is important. Mark Twain, the world laments you for an hour and forgets you forever. Why is that important? Why is coming to grips with your fragility important? Here's why. Because you can realize that God's not fragile. He is eternal. And because he's eternal, he sees the biggest picture and he has your best in mind. Isaac Adams said it this way, death is a comma, not a period in the Christian life. You know, because God is God and you are not, he is worthy of your praises and he's worthy of your worship and he's not surprised by what you're going through. He is the eternal one and he gets it. This is not his first rodeo and he is in no danger of failing. He is in no danger of losing you. If the history of this world teaches us anything, it's that God's eternal promises and plans are well and good. And he knows exactly what he's doing. Stop bowing down to temporary things and worship the eternal king. Number two, God is sovereign. Not only is God eternal, he's sovereign. Look what King says. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay, and none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? Y'all, that by itself is not enough that God is sovereign. What you need to know is that that God's not just sovereign, God is good. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. He knows exactly what he's doing. If you put yourself in a position to be all-knowing all the time, what you do is you dethrone God and you put yourself as God. Here's what I want you to say, or here's what I want you to know. God knows exactly what he's doing. And, and if, you're, if your God agrees with everything that you're doing, you might not be worshiping the God of the Bible. Because if you read this book like I do, what I find often is there are a lot of things that I just don't understand. But God is sovereign. Number three, this is the last one, God is good. God is good. The entire chapter should remind you that God is good. The king rejected God so many times. So many times that I sit back and I'm like, God, why haven't you given up on this guy? Because that's not what God does. God doesn't give up on you. He didn't give up on the king and he is good. And the best news ever is that Jesus doesn't wait for you to clean up your mess before he humbled himself and died for you. The reality is that Jesus substituted himself for you so that whenever God looks at you, he looks at Jesus's perfect righteousness and not your record of right and wrong. Jesus became a man. He lived your perfect life. He died in your place so that you could come before him. Y'all, it's the most scandalous and ridiculous truth ever, you don't have to earn your affections before God. Jesus already did it for you. God is good. And it's God's goodness that can take the worst tragedy of your life and write your best story through it. He did it with Chuck Colson. He did it with King Nebuchadnezzar. I believe he can do it with you. Why not us? Why not you? That's the question you need to ask. What's holding you back What's holding you back from you realizing that God's greatest story wants to be written in your life? See, the way you do that is you have to humble yourself to finally recognize that it's God all along and you simply receive. Seriously, if you would reinterpret your story through the redemptive act of God's love, what you would find is that God has already done everything necessary to save you. He loves you far greater than you could ever imagine. He's kinder than you know and he won't give up on you. The question I have is, are we humble enough to receive it? This story, this story more than any other story in the Bible, the story of Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar is about God's kindness that leads to repentance. 
I want you to hear me say this. He's not done with you. It's all judgment outside the final judgment is God's mercy on our lives. And he is working a story in us that if we would recognize it and allow him to do it, can change your life. Father, I pray that you would help us to help us to understand this truth. Lord, these are not easy truths. None of these truths in the Bible are easy. They're hard to talk about. They're hard to teach. It'd be a lot easier to just talk about prosperity. But Lord, the reality is, is you don't want temporary happiness for our lives. You want eternal joy. And I want to find that in you. I want to find a peace that surpasses all understanding. I want to find a joy that can never be quenched. I want to find a steadfastness that no matter what happens in our lives, we can be steady because our lives are built on the firm foundation that is you, Jesus. Would you help us to do that? Would you humble us if it's necessary? Would you exalt yourself and would you use us, I pray. In Jesus' name.